His love is vast enough that it will last through eternity. Millennia cannot weary it. Denial and betrayal and apathy cannot empty it of its power. Infinity cannot encompass it. And human depravity and all of its evil and wickedness can never exhaust it. That is the love of God. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the New Testament book of Romans. And so if you have your Bible, would you turn to Romans chapter 5 this morning as we read together verses 1 to 11. You will find it on page 1752 of the Church Bible. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will any man die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Over the last few weeks, as many of you know, we have been steadily working our way through Romans and we come to chapter 5. And if you worship with us regularly or you watch us on television on a Sunday morning, you will know that it is my habit when we come to a new passage of Scripture that begins with the word, therefore, we pause and stop and, cons and consider what it is therefore. And so as we come into chapter 5 and Paul begins with the word, Therefore, let me give you the first or a very brief summary of the first four chapters. And during those four chapters, to help put things into context, I have to confess, and if you have been with us regularly, you will know this to be the case, that as we've worked our way through the Scriptures, and we take them very seriously here at First Pres, and we try to learn from them and then apply them to our life in the course of the week, and during these first four chapters, 
The Apostle Paul has laid out for us in considerable detail the magnitude and the severity of our sin. And quite honestly, some Sunday mornings that has made us uncomfortable. But he has taken us Sunday by Sunday to a level of comprehension that has challenged us and challenged us deeply to think biblically and theologically. And we have learned in the process. And at times I have shaken my head in incredulity because what the apostle has been able to do for us is this. That he has reminded us in stark terms of the depths of human depravity. And at times for each of us it has been dark, ugly, shocking, shameful, and distasteful. And in those first chapters, he has reminded, certainly me personally, and I suspect you as a congregation, he's reminded us of the magnitude and the power and the gravitas of human depravity and our own personal sin in our own lives, lives of our families, in our community, our state, our nation, and across the world. And at times it has been shocking to come face to face with sin and all of its power to deceive and destroy has been seriously uncomfortable. But this morning, as we come to chapter 5, things begin to change. And they change wonderfully. And as we move into chapter 5, it's almost as if the apostle has thrown open the doors onto a very wide and exciting vista and invites us to step through and join with him as he continues this journey. And chapter 5 is filled with great energizing beliefs and inspiration. And almost as we work our way through it this morning, I will hear you... Catch your breath as he, having reminded us of the power and the gravitas and the magnitude of our sin, he now goes the other way and reminds us in wonderfully rich language of the power and magnitude and gravitas of the love and mercy and grace of God in all of its fullness and power. And so that's where we're going this morning as we make our way in to Romans chapter 5. And so look with me please at the opening verses where he writes, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this opening verse, he begins with justification and reconciliation in just those opening words. And you may be sitting there this morning and saying, Richard, just hold on a second. I have not been with you the last couple of Sundays. I've been traveling or been on vacation or, Richard, it's been a few weeks and you're bringing me to Romans chapter 5. Help me out a little. Please explain to me what does the Apostle Paul mean when he uses theological language like justification? What on earth does that mean? But when an individual discovers and experiences for themselves the hand of God reaching out and touching that life, of capturing it and drawing that individual to themselves, 
where they go through the process of opening up and beginning to understand the gospel in a new way. And suddenly they have an appetite for the things of God and prayer matters and they long for worship and they can't wait till Sunday morning comes around and they've been challenged by what they're reading in the scriptures and they come to that point of commitment and faith where God gently draws them to himself and they get to that point that it is so profound, so deep, that they understand God in all his love and grace. And the only response that's appropriate is that by faith they hand over their entire life to him. And suddenly God in all his wonder becomes real to them. And they trust him with their life. And they understand the magnitude of what happened at Calvary when Christ died for our sin. And that's what Paul means in these opening words. Look at them again. Since we have been justified through faith, since we have trusted him, since we have come to know him, since he's captured our hearts and transformed him, we have peace with God. And that's what it means to be justified. The simple definition is this. Now, when God sees his children who have trusted him and turned their lives over to him and have been forgiven and cleansed and renewed, at that point, they are justified. And it means this, just as if we had never sinned. And that's the point. And he sees you and I as he looks at Christ, perfect, holy, pure, forgiven, in love with the Father, our lives turned around, set on a new path, and loving Him and engaging with Him, and cannot wait to follow Him all our days, just as if we had never sinned. But please understand this, that simple definition doesn't do justification the justice it should because not only does he forgive every sin we have ever committed, every thought and deed and action and motivation, not only does he bring us to, into intimacy with himself and cleanse and forgive us and give us peace with God, not only does he forgive every sin we've ever committed, but hear this, also the sins of today and the sins of tomorrow and the sins of next week and next month and next year because now we belong to him we are his he holds us in the palm of his hand and absolutely utterly refuses ever to let us go and that's why Paul not only says we are justified through faith we now have peace with God but he goes on and we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And please understand, when the Apostle Paul writes in such strong language, he is saying that God now holds us to himself forever. 
And it's not a temporary or a transient experience. This isn't an experience of being over-enthused on a Sunday morning, of being lifted and encouraged and inspired by good music or good singing. This is not about being caught up in an emotional experience for a moment. But this is for the rest of eternity. You are His and you belong to Him. And understand this. He delights in you. Remember we said at times we underestimate the gravity and the magnitude and the power of sin. Now it's time to also confess, yes, we underestimate the power and the love and the grace of God for all eternity. And there are times I have to shake my head and catch my own breath to think He loves me with an everlasting love. And that love He extends to you from Guatemala to Glasgow, from Tokyo to Toronto, from South Carolina to China. That is the love and grace and mercy of God. And that's why Paul follows up very quickly. And he says in verse 3, not only so, excuse me, I've jumped ahead, the end of verse 2, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Three times in these first 11 verses, he used that word rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. And I have to confess, if you are anything like me, I don't rejoice in the love of my Savior the way I ought to. I often take it for granted. And there are times I have to come back to him with deep and abiding regret and shame and say, Father, forgive me again for the fickleness of my mind, when the days I have betrayed you, for the moments when I've sinned against you, forgive me, cleanse me, allow me to begin again. And that's when I come back to this passage and I remember all over again that He has justified us and loves us and is thrilled by us and we rejoice in Him. Not in anything we have done because we are not saved according to what we have done but we enter into a saving relationship with Him because of what He has done and that's the joy of the Christian faith. The focus is not on us but it's on Him. And then Paul begins to change things again. Verse 3, what does he say? He takes it a step further. And he says, not only this, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now let me pause for a second because some of you quite rightly will be saying this. Richard, this to me sounds not just a paradox, we rejoice in our suffering, it sounds absurd. How can we possibly rejoice in our suffering? Are you honestly telling me that when tough days come your way, when you're disappointed or hurt, where you've been praying for something for a long time and God doesn't seem to answer your prayers and all your hopes and dreams come to nothing, do you honestly tell me you rejoice? Of course I don't rejoice, and neither do you. 
So the question is, what on earth does Paul mean when he says we rejoice in our suffering? Absurd or paradox? Seems odd to say the least. Now having begun with justification this morning, Paul quickly moves us on to a second theological term called sanctification. Justification is that second, that heartbeat when God reaches out and transforms and utterly changes our heart and soul and draws us to himself, then we are justified. A sovereign work of God. And sanctification is this. It's not over in a second. It's not that moment when we first believed. It's not that moment when we first repented. But sanctification is a lifelong process because as soon as you come to trust in him as soon as you believe as soon as the heart is transformed and you long to walk with him the rest of your days sanctification begins and it's this sanctification is a lifelong process when God will take you as you are and he will call you into an ever-deepening relationship with himself. And he absolutely insists on doing this with every one of his children. And he takes us, and he shapes us, and he forms us, and he fashions us to be more Christ-like day by day by day. That's sanctification. For he longs that we would be more like Christ. More like Christ in our thinking. More Christ-like in our behavior. More Christ-like in our relationships. More Christ-like in everything we do. That's his ultimate goal, is to make us more like his son. And understand this, that at times God will allow difficulties and challenges and pains into our life in order to make us more dependent on him, in order to refine us and fashion us after his good and pleasing and perfect will and understand this. And most of us know this to be true from our own experience because when he does this, he's not describing some cosmetic surgery on the outside, but he's reaching down deep in radical surgery to change us and remove from us our heart of flesh and give us what? A new heart, a new soul that is Christ-like. And in the process, he brings to us the ability to persevere, to keep going, when sin is crouching at our door, threatening to overwhelm us, when our prayers are not answered, when we are apt to give in to indifference and apathy, He is still there, enabling us to continue to keep going, to persevere, because out of perseverance comes character, comes maturity, comes the testing of our faith, comes growing up through childhood to adolescence and then into adulthood in our faith. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is this, that too often we are looking at the challenges and the hurts and the pains and the disappointments in front of us while God is not focused there 
You are looking at all of this and he is focused on you. On you. For he longs for the best for you to change and transform and to have you walk with him each day. And when you understand the profundity of that spiritual truth, then, then you rejoice. Father, thank you that I am growing more Christ-like each day and in this we rejoice. That's where our hope lies. That's the point Paul's making. And then he adds this wonderful verse, verse 5. And he adds, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Look at it again. God has poured out his love into our hearts. This isn't a grudging, well, if I really must... It's them again. How many times do they have to come? It's not that. It's the opposite. That he lavishes his love upon us. He delights to sustain us and enable us. And it is an outrageous love. Not dependent on who we are, but on what we have done. But utterly dependent on his love for us. And the next time you feel that you've had a tough day and things are not going well and your back is up against the wall and you do not know where to go next, turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 5. In love and worship and praise and adoration and remind yourself what? That God has poured His love into our hearts and given us his Holy Spirit to live within. No wonder Paul is rejoicing. No wonder. And in our closing moments today, let me take you to what I think is the climax of this passage. And it comes in verse 8. If you have not memorized Scripture since you were a child... Let me encourage you this week to memorize Romans 5, verse 8. Go back over it. Read it again. Commit it to memory. Get it into your heart and soul. It is the very essence of all that Paul has been saying in these first four chapters, and he reminds us again of it in chapter 5. And what does he say? But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you understand what he's saying there? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Have you grasped the significance and the enormity of what the Apostle Paul has just written? It's not that he died for us when we began to go to church. It's not that he died for us when we began to pray. 
It's not that he died for us when we opened up the scriptures for the first time and it started to make sense to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And chapters 1 to 4, if it taught us anything, taught us the depths of our own sin means this, that when we sin, we look God in the face and commit utter rebellion. And we treat His Word and His purposes and His will and His grace and His love, we treat it with contempt and disdain. And we say we don't care how much you love us. We don't care if your Son died on a cross for us. We will live our lives any way we feel fit and you have nothing to say for us and stand away. We want nothing to do with you. That is sin. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. While we treated him with contempt, while we rebelled against him and wanted nothing to do with him, he died for us. That's the gospel. That's the wonder of it. That he loves us because he loved us because he loved us because he loved us. That's the gospel. And understand this as I bring this to a close this morning, if I can, that his love is vast enough that it will last through eternity. Millennia cannot weary it. Denial and betrayal and apathy cannot empty it of its power. Infinity cannot encompass it. And human depravity and all of its evil and wickedness can never exhaust it. That is the love of God. And hear this. There is no barrier too high. No valley too deep, no road too long, no dream too extreme that his love cannot, in the midst of all of that, bring victory and enabling and sustaining grace to us. So this morning as we leave here, we leave rejoicing, thankful, grateful people why? One reason. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And when you're tempted to give in this week, remember, but God. When you're tempted to fall into sin and turn from him, and apathy and indifference and rebellion comes tempting at the door, Turn again to Romans 5 and remember, but God, and He's shaping you and fashioning you in order that you might follow Him and grow in maturity in your faith. And an amen belongs in there, beloved. Would you agree? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this incredible passage in the book of Romans. We thank you for your infinite love for us, for your patient persistence with us, 
And we ask this week that you would strengthen us in order that we might follow you and grow deeper in our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whatever you're facing, First Presbyterian Church would like to pray for you this week. Please leave your name and prayer request by calling 864-672-1838 or receive prayer in person. Details about this service are listed on your screen. To purchase a DVD of today's message, please send a check or money order for $10 to First Presbyterian Church and include today's program number. For more information, call 864-672-1846 or visit our website at firstpresgreenville.org.